The next incident that we find a shirish of the Mashiach bin Yusuf descending or coming down, and therefore, as I had mentioned previously, this of course requires a great amount of hester, so the Sitra Akhra is not Makatrig. In other words, the Sitra Akhra does not prosecute and obstruct the possibility of this great shirish of one of the Mashiachim coming down. The next incident, and actually this is the last incident I will discuss, at least in this particular series, is the idea of Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, who was a true Goyal, he was a true Redeemer, and as such, interestingly enough, had Klai Yisrael, had Israel, Jews, been Zuchah, had they murdered, in other words, had they not done the Cheto Egel, the sin of the golden calf, then Moshe Rabbeinu would have been the Mashiach bin Yosef. However, since Klai Yisrael did the Cheto Egel, they decided, of course, to sin at the calf, the golden calf, Therefore, of course, the entire possibility that the Mashiach would come and usher in the Yemoyah Mashiach, of course, was destroyed, at least at that time. And of course, as I had mentioned previously, that is indicated when the Rabbanu Shalom told Moshe Rabbeinu, when he went up, or rather when the Rabbanu Shalom said that your people have sinned, so he said, Lech raid, get thee down, which means, of course, go down from your status as Mashiach bin Yosef. And therefore, of course, Israel is not worthy, does not merit, of course, to have the Muslim Sheikh coming in at that time. And therefore, of course, Moshe Rabbein remained in general a true girl, but did not, of course, uh, become the actual Mashiach Ben Yosef because of the what happened at the Chet Ho'egel, the sin of the golden calf. Now, in Moshe Rabbeinu's circumstances, we find that there are three phases in his life that had tremendous hester which of course is part of the concealment process, how the Rebbeinu conceals from the Sitra Akhra uh, the fact that there is a possible shirish of the Mashiach on earth, of course, and not only that, but by Moshe Rabbeinu, it would have to be even stronger because Moshe Rabbeinu would, have to be, would actually be the true Goyal, would be the true Redeemer, and of course, the true Mashiach ben Yosef, if Israel had been worthy. Now, the first of these three phases where we find tremendous concealment is the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu. Now we observe that his birth occurred when, there's a when there was a tremendous amount of kitrub, prosecution by the Sitra Akhra against Klai Yisrael, and also a tremendous amount of Yisurin, very difficult sufferings in Klai Yisrael. And if you recall, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu was born at the time that Pharaoh, Pharaoh was killing Jews. And at that time, Moshe Rabbeinu was, bo uh, was born. Now, <clears throat> at that time, since there was a tremendous kitrug against Klai Yisrael, and following, of course, Yisurin, tremendous punishment for Klai Yisrael, the Sitra Akhra, of course, was kept busy condemning and prosecuting Klai Yisrael, the Jews. And, of course, <clears throat> he was also punishing the Jews because that, of course, the entire objective of his kitrug, of his prosecutory attempt. Now, he was kept busy, of course, <clears throat> because that is when he realized that the Rabbani Shalom gives ear to the Sitra Akhra. That is a time when justice reigns, when God sits on a seat of justice. And therefore, the Sitra Akhra, of course, is busy prosecuting Jews and then punishing Jews. And that's exactly what he was doing at that time. However, at that time we find that what the Rabbani Shalom does, of course, is he slipped down a shirish of the Mashiach bin Yosef. And actually, he slipped down the Goyal himself, Moshe Rabbeinu. And he slipped him down, of course, in complete concealment or hester to the Sitra Akhra. 
and I had mentioned previously, this is one of the ways that God conceals from the Sitra Akhra what he is doing, in order that the Sitra Akhra should not bring any kind of prosecutory attempt in order to obstruct that which God in reality really wants to do. Now, obviously, <coughs> therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu was born in this great Yisurin in Klai Yisrael. So we see that even that, those times which appear very difficult to Klai Yisrael, when Klai Yisrael is in the middle of a tremendous pogrom or calamity, God himself, of course, at that time, helps Klai Yisrael. And in this particular case, of course, the Mashiach himself came down. And perhaps we can learn, in terms of a future, as it is said that, Behold, in Kedusha, we say, in Musaf by Shabbos, we say, Behold, I shall redeem you. The last redemption will be like the first redemption. Therefore, of course, we can profit by understanding the first redemption, and this may tell us something about the last redemption, how it will take place, and who the individual shall be. In any case, since we see then that during the Surin of Klai Yisrael comes the Goyal himself, comes the Mashiach ben Yosef, and therefore, of course, that is the Aschalta de Gula, and the Aschalta de Gula, as I had mentioned previously, has several phases. The first phase of the Aschalta de Gula, which means the beginning of redemption, is when the Moshiach ben Yosef himself is born at the birth of the girl. But however, he himself does not know that he is the Redeemer, that he is the Messiah, the Mashiach. In other words, before he is designated for the task, this is the Aschalta de Gula, the first stage. The second stage, of course, is when he himself is informed of what he truly is and what his true task is. In any case, the first phase of Aschalta de Gula, Rishina, of the beginning of the first redemption took place at a time which was horrendous calamity to Klai Yisrael. Therefore, perhaps also in the last Gula, we will have the same thing. That perhaps the girl is born at a time when there is tremendous Yisurin in Klai Yisrael. Now, we find therefore that the Shalom, instead of uh, seeming to be a complete judge, is really using these times to conceal from the Sitra Akhra in order to bring redemption to the Klai Yisrael. And we find also that before the Jews went into Egypt, Yocheved, who is the mother of Moshe Rabbeinu, was born in between the walls of Egypt. Uh, she was born in between the outer walls of Egypt and the inner walls of Egypt. That's when Yocheved, Moshe Rabbeinu's mother, was born. And she is the last of the 70 souls which the Torah relates and 70 souls accompanied Yaakov Avinu to Mitzrayim. Why? Because she was born before the actual exile in Egypt will take place. So therefore we see that the refua, the actual cure, always comes before the makkah, always comes before the blow. And the same idea, that the Rabbani Shalom somehow always makes sure that even in the greatest difficulties in Yisurin, punishment and affliction to Klai Yisrael, at that time is also the refua of Klai Yisrael. And of course the Rabbani Shalom even antecedes the makkah, the blow, or the Yisurin to Klai Yisrael, he antecedes it with the actual cure. As Yocheved was born before they got to Egypt, and of course that was the refuah, because she would give birth to Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, uh, who was of course the Mashiach in Klai Yisrael. The second great stage of Hester, or the second phase of Moshe Rabbeinu, in which we see Hester, and therefore perhaps we can even learn out for the future Mashiach, since we see the posuk, the verse, is the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu grew up as a Mitzri. Most people fail to realize that, but Moshe Rabbeinu, 
his development was as an Egyptian, as a Mitzi, because he grew up in the house, of course, in the palace of Pharaoh. In other words, if we think about it, Moshe Rabbeinu, he acted, he dressed like a Mitzri, he acted like a Mitzri, an Egyptian, he was educated as an Egyptian, and he even associated with Egyptians. Obviously, he had to do that because if Paro would know that he was Jewish, of course, he would have had him, he would have had him long killed. Therefore, we begin to realize that for all practical purposes, Moshe Rabbeinu appeared to be a secularized or culturized Jew in terms of the actual culture that he lived in. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu seemed to be externally a Mitzri, an Egyptian, but internally, of course, he was a Kodesh, he was very holy. In other words, the panemius of Moshe Rabbeinu was Kedusha. And even though he didn't obviously show it out because it would cost him his life, however, at least externally, the appearances of Moshe Rabbeinu was completely as a mitzvah. And therefore, this was again the second kind of hester that the Rabbeinu appeared to, uh, of course, to produce. So therefore, because the Sitra Akhra would never figure that the one who's going to be the Sheikh ben Yosef, of course, looks exactly like the people, the Mitzrayim. It doesn't even look like a Jew. In any case, perhaps we can learn from the future redemption, in the sense that um, that uh, perhaps even the future Sheikh ben Yosef will also basically act, dress, be educated, and associate associate in the very country, or ra- rather as the very nation or culture that he, of course, is born in and grows up in. Perhaps we can make that assumption also. Now, in also interesting enough, we see that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he appeared, he appeared as a mitzvah, he assimilated, and therefore he was assimilated among Egyptians, and he resided in the very nation that he would overthrow, which is Egypt. So perhaps we can say also, in addition to that, that the Mashiach ben Yosef, since he has to overthrow Esau, which is basically... Uh, these, these, uh, the contestants, of course, of East of his Western civilization as represented by America. So perhaps we can say that the future Mishak bin Yosef grows up in America also because that is the nation, of course, that he has to overthrow. And therefore, in that nation, he appears, he's bo- brought up in, and of course, he acts very similar as an American. This, of course, is speculation on my part. The third phase of, of uh, Hester that Moshe Rabbeinu of course, lived in was the fact that he went into Golos, that he went into exile. And the Shmois Rabbah, in the Midrash, says that he went into exile basically at 40. Now, which means, of course, that he went into exile away from all Jews who, of course, at that time were in Egypt. In other words, if you left, left Egypt, there was no Jewish community outside of Egypt as there is now. All the Jews at that time, of course, were in Egypt. So, therefore, that third phase of Hester, where the Sitrach would never guess that this would be the future Mashiach, of course, is that he is an individual who is separate from the body of Klai Yisrael, that he wanders off for 40 years and he has nothing to do with any Jews. So therefore, these are the three kinds of phases of Hester that Moshe Rabbeinu went through, because not only was a Shirish of the Mashiach ben Yosef, but of course, it was intended that he be the actual Mashiach ben Yosef. And even though that itself never materialized, he still was the certainly the true goyal, which is certainly one of the fundamental tasks of the Mashiach, Ben Yosef. Now, therefore, as such, we see those three phases. The first phase, of course, is where Moshe Rabbeinu was born in a time of tremendous kitrug or prosecution against Klai Yisrael, so the Sitrach was too busy to even notice what's happening. <clears throat> the second is that Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, grows up as a mitzvah, 
and therefore externally he's completely like a mitzvah, therefore of course that itself it's also concealment to the sitrachal because the last one to expect would be the Mashiach of course is a mitzvah or a Jew that looks like a mitzvah the, the third idea of Hester of course is that here's an individual who went to Golis and therefore he has, he's separate from the entire body of Klai Israel so one certainly would not expect that he would be the Mashiach this is basically the way the Rebbe hid the Hester of whom Moshe Rabbeinu was, of course, to the Sitra Achra, that the Sitra, sitra Achra should not prosecute and therefore obstruct that which the Rebbe wants to do. Now, one more idea. It is interesting to note that Moshe and Aaron were Levim, in other words, the Levitehood. In other words, the uh, Levim, they are bearers of the Ark. They are bearers, of course, of the Oren HaKodesh, which contains in it the two pairs of Luches, the first pair which were broken, and the second pair, which of course were given after the first pair were broken. In other words, they bear the Torah. And also, the Levim, they are the priests, because every coin, of course, is always a Levi. And of course, the priests are involved in the service of Hashem, in the actual Beis HaMikdash. Therefore, Moshe and Aaron, who of course were both the Shoshim of the Mashiach ben Yosef, and of course were the two Goelim, they of course would come from the tribe of, tribe of Levi, because the tribe of Levi basically would have as its primary function the learning of Torah and the imparting of Torah to Klai Israel, which is what Moshe Rabbeinu did, and of course the actual service and ministering to the Rabbeinu Shalom, which is of course the task of the Kohuna. And it's interesting to note that the Rambam says in Hilchus Yoyvel, Peregid Gimel Haloch Yid Beis, he says over there by Levim, V'lomo loizochar Levi benachlas Eretz Yisrael, why is it that the tribe of Levi did not merit to inherit part of the land of Eretz Israel, in the inheritance of Eretz Israel, which was given by the Rebbeinu to Klai Israel, and why don't, do they not have any share in the spoils of Eretz Israel, in Echov with his brothers, why? Because they have been separated, means the tribe of Levi has been separated in order to serve the Rebbeinu Shalom, in order to minister to him, that's the kahuna, that's the priesthood. And the second, is drochov hayishorim, and to teach his righteous ways, umishpotov hatzadikim, and his righteous judgments, of course, the rabbim, to the uh, multitude. And that, of course, is Torah, which, of course, is the entire idea of the levia. Shneema, because it says in Vezes Abrocho, when, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu was given the brochos to the different tribes, they shall teach, and this refers to the Levi, the tribe of Levi. They shall teach your judgments to Yaakov, and your terror to, of course, Israel. Therefore, it would make sense that since the tribe of Levi is occupied in bringing, or rather in primarily devoting itself to the service of the Rabbani Islam, therefore they would have the priesthood, which of course is what Aaron was, a coin. And therefore also the tribe of Levi, of course, would have the bearing of the Ark, which of course is to bear the Torah, and therefore to learn the Torah and to a part of the client's world. Therefore it is logical, of course, that Moshe Viyarain would of course come from the tribe of Levi. And one can conjecture and say that if the future Mashiach ben Yosef also comes from the tribe of Levi as Moshe Viyarain, then perhaps these psukim, which are in Vizoy Sabrocha itself, could well maramiz the entire idea. How? Because it says over there in Vizoy Sabrocha, Yiru Mishpotechu Yaakov, they shall teach your judgments to Yaakov. 
and the Jews are called before the Musa Mashiach, the Jews are called Bnei Yaakov, the children of Yaakov. Israel, and they shall teach your Torah to Israel, Jews. And Jews after the Mashiach are really called Yisrael, as I will explain at a later time. Uh, so therefore, they shall teach your ju judgments to Yaakov. They will, you know, the Bnei Levim, or rather the Mashiach Ben Yosef, if he happens to be from the tribe of Levi, shall teach, and actually all of him, shall teach your judgments to Yaakov, which is Israel, Klai Israel, before the Muslim Mashiach, and they will teach a Torah, which of course is the Orpnimi, that Orishan, the hidden Torah. They will teach the Israel, and Klai Israel is called Israel, of course, after the Muslim Mashiach. Then the Pasuk continues, Yasumu, Yasimu Ketero, Biapecho, that they will place Ketero, means incense, Biapecho, in front of you. And we see in Chazal that Keteros is Mechaper, that when it says, the uh, Keteris, that the function of the Keteris, of course, is to atone for the sins of Klai Yisrael. As it is said by Kerach, that when Kerach came, of course, and uh, then he died, the earth opened up and swallowed him and his congregation together, a plague broke out. So immediately, Moshe told Aaron that immediately go and take the incense and offer it before the Rebbeinu and the plague will be stopped, because Keteris is a kapora. So it says, Vayitin as a Keteris, and he gave the Keteris the incense, by Chaper al and he atoned for the people, and then the plague immediately stopped. So it says, therefore, that Yosimu Ketero Be'apecho, that they, the Meshichan, shall of course place incense in front, incense in front of you in order to effect a kapara. How? Because the Kolul Amizbechecho, they shall offer upon your Mizbech a burnt offering. In other words, the Asurim of the Mashiach is the kapara for Klai Israel. Therefore, as I had mentioned previously by the Akedah, that when it says by Yaleil Uldo, by Avram Avinu, after the Rebbe said not to offer up Yitzchak, it says by Yaleil and he offered up as an Uldo this ram which he found was uh, in, in, uh, in, in a thorn bush. Instead of a son, he offered it up. As I had mentioned previously, that this is Miramis to the Mashiach, of course, the Mashiach, and especially Mashiach Ben Yosef, that they offered themselves up in order to suffer Yisurin in order that Klai Yisrael, of course, should have a kiyum, should continue to exist. Therefore, the kol amizbechecho, they shall offer themselves up as burnt offerings, which is the same idea as the Akedah, and therefore, yosimu kuturbi apecho, and they therefore will place, of course, the incense in front of you, because they will, of course, achieve a kapor of Klai Yisrael. Now, then it says, Berach Hashem Cheloi, God will bless His army, and of course, God blesses his army. The army, of course, refers to the Mashiach ben Yosef. Why? Since the Mashiach ben Yosef has the war or fight against the Sitra Akhra, therefore the major idea of army, of course, devolves upon the Mashiach ben Yosef. And the reason why God has to bless him, of course, is since the Mashiach ben Yosef is involved in a tremendous war with the Sitra Akhra, therefore the Mashiach ben Yosef needs great shmira. He needs a great um, blessing, so to speak or he needs a tremendous amount of watching because of the tremendous amount of sakona that he's in. And Rav Meshachayim Ratzati says many times that the Mashiach Ben Yosef needs a great shmira. He needs a special divine dispensation that he should last in his fight against the Sitra Achra. Therefore, Ber Hashem Chiloi, God will bless his army, meaning the Mashiach Ben Yosef, and he will give him that special shmira. And then it says, Ufoyal Yodov, Tirzeh, 
and the work of his hands, Tirza, you will find acceptable, which means, of course, that the work of the hands of the Mashiach bin Yosef, you will find acceptable. And why is it called the work of his hands? Because since the Mashiach bin Yosef interacts in the material world in order to subdue the Sitra Ahra, Therefore, interacting in the material world, of course, is always referred to as hands because you have to interact and, and uh, interface with the material world and work at it. Therefore, and this is the way, of course, that the Mashiach bin Yosef subdues the Sitra Akra and, of course, and dedicates the entire material world in the service of the Rabbani Shlam. Therefore, it says, Ufoyal Yodov Tirtse, and the work of his hands, which is the interaction in the material world and is subduing the Sitra Akra that uh, by interacting with the material world, of course, is referred to as Yodov and Tirza. you should accept this. And by the way, that's why it also says Yedei Esav, because Esav, as I, as I previously mentioned, was in the union of Mashiach ben Yosef, and therefore, he had to interact with the material world, and that's why he had just a strong Sitra Achra, Yetzirah, as I mentioned previously. Therefore, it says Yedi Esav, the hands of Esav, because his work, of course, as Mashiach ben Yosef, the union of Mashiach ben Yosef, was to interact with the material world, and therefore to subdue the Sitra Akhra. So we see, therefore, that hands always refer, of course, to the idea of involving oneself in the material world, and therefore the uh, works of the hands of Mashiach ben Yosef should be accepted before you. And then it continues in that pasuk and says, "Mechatz Mosnaim Komo," that you should strike the loins of those that arise against the Mashiach bin Yosef, and those that hate him, Minyakuman, should never arise. And we could say, therefore, that this alludes to the idea that the Mashiach bin Yosef, you should strike down those that try to stand up against the Mashiach bin Yosef, and of course the ones who try to attack and stand up against the Mashiach bin Yosef is of course Goig, or as he is known in other, la- uh, uh, other ways, Armilus, Goik from the land of Mogog, of course, who wars with the Mashiach Ben Yosef and brings all the Goim with him, and altogether, of course, they war with the Mashiach Ben Yosef. So therefore, Mechatz Mosnaim Komov, Moshe Rabbeinu says, strike down to the loins those that arise against them. Masanov, but those that hate him, Nikumun, they shouldn't arise either. And who are those that hate him, of course? The ones who arise to actually do harm to him is the Goyim and Goy. But the ones who hate him and don't do any damage to him, but somehow they try to obstruct him through their hate, is of course the ear of Rav, which is the mixed multitude, which of course they hate him, and therefore uh, this refers to them. So, if we could say that the Mashiach bin Yosef will come from the same tribe as Moshe Rabbeinu and Am, Perhaps we can learn these psukum that says in B'zayis HaBrocha, which refer to the Shevet lady, we can actually learn them as actually applying to the entire idea of Mashiach ben Yosef. Now, so far what have I done? We have examined rather intensively six different events concerning Shroshim of the Mashiach ben David and the Mashiach ben Yosef. And we have seen in what manner they descend how the Rabbanu Shalom hides from the Sitra Akhra their dissension that the Sitra Akhra should not produce a kidrug or a prosecutory attempt in order to obstruct their coming down. Now, these different incidents or six events which I have talked about have been one, Avraham Avinu, two, the incident of Lot and his daughters, Ubnu Yisav, three, the incident of Yehud and Tamar, four, the incident of Boyaz and Rus, 
Five, the inc- incident, of course, of the birth and the growth of Dover HaMalach. And six, right now I have discussed Moshe Rabbeinu. We see, therefore, in summary, that there is always great hester concerning them because of the possibility of the Kitruk that the Sitra Akra can prosecute because of the Chatoim, the sins of Jews. And therefore, of course, the Rebbeinu of course, um, provides a great hester. And even though they don't deserve it now, <clears throat> that such a sherish would come down and therefore produce great enlightenment and great tikkunum in the spiritual worlds. Still, through our Hogesah from the fact that the Rebbeinu has a backup system, what the Rebbeinu does, of course, is that he will make sure that they deserve it later, even though they don't deserve it now, and he will do that, of course, generally through Yisurim. Now, I would like to conclude this particular topic of the uh, entrance into the Bria, the entrance into this world of the Shroshim of the Meshichan, both Ben David and Ben Yosef, with a remez, that we can actually see this alluded to in the beginning of Bracious, which is really where everything is alluded to. It says there that Bracious borrowed that God created, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And then it says, of course, that for that the earth was devoid and without form. And then it says, there was darkness on the face of the deep. Tahim is the deep, which means a great body of water. And it says, And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of these waters. Now, interesting enough, who is this Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God that hovers over the face of these waters? Now, the Baraturim says that Ruach Elohim Rachefes Begematria adds up, if you take the numerical value of these letters, it adds up to Zuhi Ruchel Shel Melech HaMashiach. This is the spirit of the King Messiah. In other words, the Ruach Elohim, the spirit of God, refers, who is the spirit of God, refers to the Melech HaMashiach himself. And he is the one who hovers over the face of the water, of course. And this is alluded to in the fact that that Ruach Elohim Rachefes, according to the Baratum, adds up to Zuhi Ruchel Shel Melech HaMashiach. This is the spirit of the King Mashiach. Now, <coughs> we see therefore that the Mashiach hovers over the water, as it says, that the Spirit of God, which refers to the Mashiach, hovers over the face of the waters. So we see Mashiach is hovering over the water, which is the same thing as Apnei Sahoyim, which is the same thing as deep. But wait a minute, it also says that over the face of the deep, or over the waters, is also darkness. So therefore, we see that over the deep there is utter chishich, or utter darkness. So therefore we see that the Mashiach hovers over the face of the waters in utter darkness. And what does that mean? That means that his true identity is completely hidden, that's dark, from all men. In other words, that the true identity among men of who the Mashiach Ben Yosef is, is completely hidden from all. Nobody suspects at all who the Mashiach Ben Yosef or perhaps the Mashiach Ben David can possibly be. Then what does it say? It says, let there be light, which immediately means that the Mashiachan appear suddenly and they surprise everyone because he or means instantly that before the Mashiachan, of course, are in, hovering in darkness. Nobody knows their true identity. And all of a sudden, the Rebbe says, he or let there be light. So, of course, what that means is that they appear suddenly and everybody, of course, is shocked and surprised. What's the surprise? Because the surprise is that how could it be he whom they've rejected always? 
how can this individual who nobody ever thought would be the Mashiach, how in the world does he come out being the Mashiach? And therefore we see this remez in the Torah, that the Mashiach of course hovers in darkness over the face of the deep, and of course the Rebbe says he or, and therefore he appears out of nowhere. And this is the idea of course, in the same way that the Rebbe always acts with the Shrashim of the Mashiachim in the sense that nobody knows who he is and therefore all of, a, and all of a sudden he appears to everybody and everybody of course is utterly surprised and of course utterly shocked. Now, to continue, why is everybody utterly surprised and utterly shocked at who the Mashiachim are? My answer to that question of course is that the external appearances of the Mashiachim because they have to appear in such Hester belies the fact that they are the Mashiach. In other words, that their behavior, whether it be religious or general, their dress, the way they dress, you know, the way they look to people, the abilities of these individuals, perhaps even their position in the community and the amount of knowledge they have, will perhaps disqualify them, at least initially, from so lofty a position as being the Mashiach. Even their lineage would probably disqualify them as occupying so lofty a position. But, because, but their panemius is awesome. But this panemius of these Meshichan, of course, is completely concealed from all people. Just like we see by Dover Melach, that his panemius was concealed from all people until, of course, later when Shmuel, of course, anointed him at the command of the Rabbani Shlom. Therefore, we see that the panemius, of course, is concealed from all people and that Probably the Hester is so great that they themselves are unsuspecting of their true greatness and their true task. Of course, even though they are aware of their panemius, which other people are not. Of course, until the proper time when the Mashiachim themselves are informed of who they are. And we find the same idea that Moshe Rabbeinu did not know he was a Mashiach ben Yosef for 80 years. Even though he was aware of his panemius, nobody else knew. And of course, at 80 years old, he finds out that he now becomes the Goyal, the one who takes Yisrael out of Mitzrayim. So we see, of course, that the uh, Pneumis of the Mashiachim, even though they're obvious, they're known to themselves, however, they themselves do not know of who they really are, their true greatness, and what their ultimate task is. As I had mentioned, just like by Moshe Rabbeinu, and even by Dovan HaMelech, and so on, and all these classic cases. And of course, the reason why all this has to take place is because that there has to be tremendous hester so that the Sitra Akhro does not prosecute or attempt to obstruct any of these Nishamas coming down. And the way he obstructs them, of course, is by bringing up the sins of Klayasrael and saying that Klayasrael is not worthy. This is a remez in terms of how the Mashiachan, the entire procedure or method, the way the Rabbani Shalom brings the Mashiachan down. That first they are in Ur Chishach and then Yehior. Instantly they appear and everybody, of course, is shocked. Now, we have finished now the entire idea, or at least the amount that I want to talk about, in terms of the Shroshim of the Mashiachim, how they descend and what the procedure is that the Rebbe employs. We now return, of course, to the original topic of Yaakov and Esav, of course, and I had digressed into this topic, even though perhaps it wasn't totally necessary to go into such detail about the way the Rebbe brings down the Shroshim, but since I had anyway a reason to go into this area, even uh, in a minute way, I felt it was Kedai, it was appropriate to elaborate them on them much, much, much in much greater detail. However, we now return to the original topic, of course, 
which of course is the topic of Yaakov and Esau. And if you recall, we are left with a question, and that was, why is it that the prophecy to Yaakov Avinu, which was given by Yitzchak, why is it that they had to take place through deceit and trickery? In other words, why is it that the Rebbeim not only did he not tell Yitzchak of who the recipient of his brachos were, but he actually made Yitzchak blind to allow this to happen, as I had indicated previously before by the Midrash Tanchuma, that Fatichheno Einov Meir Ois means that his eyes became dim, became blind, that he couldn't see Meir Ois from seeing who, from seeing Yaakov. So see that the Rebbeim purposely made Yitzchak blind that he should not see who is going to receive his, this bracha. Now we can begin to try to answer this question once we have had this, of course, this kind of introduction. Let us now begin then to proceed to answer this question. And, of course, it will also answer, this, this idea will also, of course, this answer will also answer other questions and difficulties. Now, if you recall, I had said that in the beginning, Yaakov and Esau were equal totally in all aspects, which is not really known by most people. In other words, they were both on the Madrig of Ovus. They both had Shroshim as the Nishamas. In other words, that whatever they did, they would influence their descendants. Therefore, they were both Ovus. Both of them, this is only at birth, of course, were, of course, in the bris of Avram, in the covenant or the agreement of Avram that the Rebbeim made with Avram. And what was that agreement? That if they do the Rotson, the will of God, then the Rebbeim, of course, would give them Oil Mahabo. So therefore, they were both brisa, in the bris of Avram, which means that they were both Bnei Oil Mahabo. They were both able to get Oil Mahabo. And, in addition, as a result of that, they both had the power of Masakin. They both had the power of Tikkun. Both of them were able to influence the amount of absence or presence of God in this universe. They both had the power of Tikkun, and of course, if they had the power of Tikkun, they also had the power of Kilkul. They were able to wreak destruction also in the Bria, in the universe. But in any case, they both had the power of Tikkun. In addition to this, they both had two different specific tasks, as I had mentioned. That in terms of Esau, he was involved in the union of Ben Yosef. And in terms of Yaakov, he was involved in the union of Ben David. Now, Esau's failure as a result that Esau became a tremendous Russia, obviously he failed, and therefore his failure cost him dearly. He lost, first of all, the power to Masakin. He no more could influence the universe in terms of the appearance or the absence of the Rabbani Islam. In other words, he no more had any effect in the universe. He could no more damage the Bria as he had done previously, as I had indicated. That's number one. In addition, the agreement that he was in, in terms of being in the Brisa of Avram, was also lost. He was no more Ben Ilm Habo. No more could he, would he be in Ilm Habo if he would do the will of God, because of course, since he had lost the power of Tikkun, one is of course connected to the other. That the entire task, of course, is to massacre the Bria, to fix or correct or to rectify the universe, and that is the agreement that God has with Avram and his descendants. Therefore, since Aslav lost the power of Tikkun, because all he was using it was, of course, to destroy the universe, he therefore, of course, no more was in the covenant with Avram, therefore he was no more accessible to Ilm Habo, at least on the way that Jews are accessible to it. And of course, he lost the entire union of the Mishichos of Ben Yosef. Now, we also know that since Yaakov Avinu bought it from Esau, that 
the entire union of Ben Yosef, of course, was given to Yaakov at the time of the sale. This we also know. This is what we had covered until now. Now, let's go further. Now, when Yitzchak was 123 years old, and of course, at that time, Yaakov and Esau, they were 63 years old, the time came that what would, ha- what would have to be done is that the ideas or the spe- specific tasks which were designated to both sons, both Yaakov and Esau, would have to be permanently implanted in both of them, to be affixed. In other words, there would now have to be a permanent designation of both tasks in both sons. In other words, the position that each son had, Yaakov in terms of the union of Ben David, and Esau in terms of the union of Ben Yosef, that position, that role, that status would now achieve a permanence, which of course it was not now, was not until, it had not gone, of course, until now. Therefore, this time now came, and we now understand what the significance of the brokos of Yitzchak war when he gave them to Esau. Now, it was not necessary, of course, to give the brokos to either son, or rather, it was not necessary to give either son the birchus Avram, the covenant of Avram, because people ask, when he gave the brokos to, we had asked previously, actually, when he gave the blessings to Esau, of course, who he thought was Esau, but he really was disguised, of course, as Yaakov, or rather, it was really Yaakov disguised as Esau. The question was, why is it he didn't give Yaakov the same blessings that he gave him when he was about to leave for Lovin's house? And that is the eating that the Rosham should give you, the Birchas Avram, the blessings of Avram. Why did he not give him, give it to Esau? when he thought that it was Esav, in effect, that he was giving the blessings to. Why is it that he reserved the Birch Avram for Yaakov later on when he was going to Lovin's house? And the answer to that, of course, is that it's not necessary to give either son the Birch Avram, the covenant. Why? Because both of them were in the Bris of Avram. Originally, both of them were in the agreement <clears throat> that Avram had with the Rebbe Islam, that if they do the will of God, the Ratzon Habere, they would get Ulam Habor. Both of them had the ta- power of Tikkun. Therefore, it's not necessary to give them, or rather tell them that they are in the covenant of Avram. What was necessary at that time, and what was only necessary, was the fact that the roles of both sons would now achieve a permanent status in Klai Israel. Later, however, when Yitzchak obviously realized <coughs> that Esau was unfit not only to be in the union of Ben Yosef, but he was unfit to be part of Christ's will, then Yitzchak gave Yaakov the Birchus Avram, the blessings of Avram. Why? Because that blessings of Avram really is the covenant. And what he really was doing when Yitzchak was telling that to Yaakov is that he was excluding Esau from the entire union of Yadus, of Judaism. That's why he gave him those, uh, the Birchus of Rome, only later before he was about to go to Lovin's house. Because he said, you are now Yisrael and not Esau. However, before when he thought Esau was still righteous, he obviously did not give him the Birchus of Rome because both Yaakov and Esau were both part of the community or the nation of Klai Yisrael. And he would only have to designate each one specifically in terms of making their specific roles or tasks permanent. <clears throat> therefore, later on, when he found out that Esav, of course, was a Russian, and therefore was unfit, not only not to have, to, not to have the tikkunim or the abilities 
or the tasks of or the task of Mashiach bin Yosef, but also he was not even fit to be, of course, a member of Christ's role. He therefore, of course, said to Yaakov that only you will be a Jew and not Esau. Therefore, only Yaakov, of course, in consequence, would be a Ben Elim Habor. In other words, only he would have the agreement with the Rabbani Shalom that if he does God's will, he would get Elim Habor. Only he would have the power of Tikkunim, and also he, of course, would now have the two tasks, which, of course, is the union of Mashiach ben David and, of course, the union of Mashiach ben Yosef. This is what transpired at that time, and of course, this answers the question of why Yitzchok did not give the Birchus Avram to Esav, or rather Yaakov, who of course he thought was Esav. Now, to continue, <coughs> we see therefore, however, now however, Yitzchok was unaware of Esav's evil at the present time. And he was unaware that Esav, of course, was completely unfit to be a Jew, and therefore, of course, that he was even unaware that Esav had lost the power of Tikkun. And what he wished to do, of course, at that time, under this uh, fact that he was ignorant of the true status of Esav, he wished to give Esav the true permanence of the union of Ben Yosef. And therefore, we now see what the blessings really mean, because if you'll notice, those blessings are nothing more than blessings for material wealth and abundance. They are blessings of, of, uh, of power. Why? Because since the Mashiach ben Yosef, or the entire task of ben Yosef, is to interact with the material world in order to subdue the Sitra Akhra, that the, the task of ben Yosef is to react with the material world and to dedicate this material world, this Gashmias, to the service of the Rabbi Islam, therefore, of course, he needs this material abundancy and he needs this power to accomplish the task. This then is the true essential nature of the brachas which were given to Yaakov, of course, as he was disguised as Esav. And this is exactly what Yitzchak did. He gave him these brachas, of course, because he wanted to permanently affix the idea of Ben Yosef in Esav. But of course, the individual that was receiving the brachas, of course, was not Esav. Of course, it was Yaakov. So this, therefore, answers the question which I asked previously. What is the essential nature of the brachas which Yitzchak gave to Yaakov? who of course was disguised as Esav. Now, in addition, I had asked a question previously that Yitzchak saw that Yaakov was a yeshiva holom, that Yaakov was the one who learned in tents, which of course mean the tents of Shem Ve'eva. So the question was that why should he prefer Esav who clearly was an Ish Sodeh? In other words, even if he did not know of Esav's rishus, even if this was unknown to Yitzchak and he did not know that Esav, of course, had sold his birthright and that he was no more had the power of Tikkun. Clearly, Esav was clearly inferior to Yaakov because Yaakov, Yaakov Avinu, of course, sat and learned all day. And Esav, of course, was involved in going outdoors. He was an Ishsadeh. So therefore, Esav was clearly an inferior to Yaakov. So therefore, why would Yaakov, or rather, why would Yitzchak want to give Esav the Brochus of Ben Yosef? Because even if he did not know he was a Russia, he clearly was the inferior of Yaakov. And the answer to that is that Ish Sodeh is not a detriment and it's not a detraction at all for the entire Indian of Ben Yosef. Because as I mentioned, that the area of involvement of the Indian of Ben Yosef is, of course, Ilim Hazeh or the material world. Therefore, the fact that Esav revolved or involved himself with the mundane world, the material world, is not at all a detraction or a detriment and does not at all indicate that he is failing his purpose. 
On the contrary, Asa fooled Yitzchak into believing that he was righteous, righteous, as I had indicated previously, and therefore he fooled him into indicating that he was fulfilling the union, of course, of Ben Yosef. Therefore, Yitzchak, who was completely fooled by Esau's machinations, thought that Esau, even though he was in the union of uh, Ben Yosef, and therefore he was involved as an Ish Sodeh, interacting with the physical and material world, still, so you know, even though he thought this, and therefore, of course, he was going to give him the blessings to give him permanence of the entire union of the union of Ben Yosef. So therefore, this answers the question of why uh, Esau clearly was inferior to Yaakov, even though uh, uh, Yitzchak did not know that Esau, of course, was a Russia. The answer was, of course, that Esau was not inferior to Yaakov, at least as thought by Yitzchak. That's exactly what the union of Ben Yosef involves, and that is to interact with the material world and to dedicate the material world, of course, to the service of the Rabbani Shalom. And this is the exact way that one, of course, subdues his kufr, the Sitra Akhra. What happens next? Therefore, what does he do? He calls in Esav to give him the blessings, which we know, of course, is the blessings which will bestow in permanent fashion the role of Ben Yosef on him, and you know, on Esav. Now, however, since in truth, Esav lost the entire Indian, not only did he lose the entire Indian of Ben Yosef, but he lost the entire power of being able to massacre Omakalkal de Bria, and of course he was no more in the bris of Avram. So, and also, of course, now that Yaakov has it, then really these Yaakov, that really that these, then it is true that in actuality, these brochas really must be given to Yaakov and not Esav, since obviously Esav has no relationship whatsoever to the entire union of Ben Yosef. He has no relationship whatsoever even to the entire union of Klai Yisrael. So the question, of course, is now why doesn't Rabbanishim tell Yitzchak of Esav's wishes and the fact that he sold his birthright to uh, Yaakov? And this would be, of course, two disqualifying points why Yitzchak should not give the blessings to Esav. Now we see that not only, of course, that, uh, that Esav lost the union, of course, of Ben Yosef, but that he's not even a Masakin and he's not even in the bris of Avram, as I've mentioned. We find that the Rebbe not only does he not tell Yitzchak anything about this, but he even creates conditions where Yitzchak can be fooled, and therefore the question, of course, is why. If you recall, I had previously discussed why it was <coughs> that Rivka did not tell Yitzchak at all of the prophecy of Rav Yavetzoyer, that the oldest son shall serve the younger, and also why she did not tell Yitzchok, of course, of the riches of Esav. And in addition, I had also previously discussed why Yaakov did not tell Yitzchok himself of the sale of the birthright, that Esav sold him his birthright, therefore Esav certainly was not entitled to these brachas, nor why Yaakov did not tell Yitzchok about the Esav's riches. I previously discussed these ideas. The question, of course, now is, of course, why is it that the Rebunshim didn't tell him? And we see even that he made it possible, of course, he set up the conditions where Yitzchak could be fooled by Yaakov. Now, the answer to that question is that if Yaakov were to get the permanence of the Indian of Ben Yosef, if he was to get permanently that role or that position or that status of that specific task, this, in effect, would be a tremendous threat to the Sitra Akhra for two reasons. One, the first idea or the first reason why this would be such a tremendous threat for the Sitra Akhra is that it would mean that the Indian of Ben Yosef 
is now permanently a part of Yaakov and all his descendants. Now, since Yaakov is of course steadfastly at Sadiq, and of course he is righteous even under very difficult conditions, this would mean that both Yaakov and his descendants would do the union of Ben Yosef in a very superlative fashion. And as a result of that, there would be very great tikkunum, very great corrections or rectifications in the spiritual worlds, and there would be great enlightenment in this world. And of course, what that would mean is that there would be a tremendous promotion of the hasog, of the comprehension or the knowledge of the yichud of the Rabbanu of the unity of God throughout all mankind. This, of course, is contrary to what the Sitra Achra wants, because we know that the desires of the Sitra Achra is that man should be steeped in darkness, where man does not see the unity or the absolute oneness of God, but man tends to see his own greatness and his own ability to control what happens. Therefore, he wants to keep man steeped in this choshech, in his darkness, and also he went, wants man to sin, to do chatoim. This is the desires of the Sitra Achra. So obviously, if Yaakov and his descendants are now going to have these nyanim of Ben Yosef, this of course is a tremendous threat to the Sitra Achra in terms of what the Sitra Achra actually desires. Now, in addition to that, <coughs> we see of course <coughs> that the Sitra Achra of course <coughs> tries to obstruct as a result of the fact that these things pose a tremendous threat to him he tries to obstruct at any stage of entry or at any permanence of the Shroshim in this Bria of the Meshichan whether it be Ben Yosef or Ben David in other words any time that the Shroshim of the Meshichan is going to enter the Bria or even if they have entered if they are going to be permanent then the the Sitra Akra, of course, tries to obstruct this because at any point in time these present a tremendous threat to him. And we see before that in the entry into the world by Dovid HaMelech, when he came down and, of course, and went into Moyov, the uh, daughter of Loit, that was done in tremendous Hester because that was the entry point, of course, when Dovid HaMelech came down into the world. We saw also that even though the Nisham of Dovid traveled to Goyim or Moyov, for many hundreds of years and eventually went into Rus that when Rus married Boyaz there was also tremendous Hester because even though it had entered into the world it was now about to enter into Klai Israel of course by Rus marrying Boyaz therefore that also that incident also had to have tremendous Hester now here by Yaakov and the Yaakov and Esau we see also that since there was now going to be a permanence of the idea of the union of Ben Yosef into Yaakov and his descendants. Therefore, of course, this also must have a tremendous hester, and therefore the Sitrachah cannot know about this because this is a tremendous threat to the Sitrachah, and therefore he will try to obstruct this, of course, by prosecuting and saying that the individuals are not worthy because of their sins. In any case, we see that any commencement of the Shirish of the Mishikhan in any way whether it be an entry into the world, whether it be an entry into Klaisrael, or even if it be permanence into an individual, is a tremendous threat to the Sitra Akra. And that therefore, this is the first reason why, if Yaakov would now receive the blessings and therefore receive the permanence of the role of the Indian of Ben Yosef, this would be a tremendous threat to the Sitra Akra. The second reason why it's a tremendous threat to the Sitra Akra 
would mean because it would mean that the concept of Israel, in other words, what is the concept of Israel? Israel means any nation who has the power of Tikkun, and that they would be involved in actually being massacred the Bria. They would be involved in actually correcting and removing that which has to be removed in the universe. And of course, we know that the Tikkun means that they remove the concealment of the oneness of God from the universe. And of course, this nation then earns Eilim Habo, and that is the entire reason why, of course, mankind was created to earn Eilim Habo. This concept is referred to as Yisrael. If Yaakov would now have the Inyan of Ben Yosef, and he of course previously had the Inyan of Ben Dovet, but if he would be given the Inyan of Ben Yosef in a permanent fashion, then this concept of Yisrael would now be fully realized, and the Bria would then have a full Tikkun. In other words, that Tikkun HaKlori, that general or complete correction of the status of the universe, which is of course man's task, would now be fully realized. And of course, this will ultimately mean the removal of the Sitra Akhra and of course, all his aids, all his hosts. So therefore, if Yaakov would now receive this union of Ben Yosef, then the totality of both tasks that have to be done in this universe would now have appeared in an individual and this individual now, of course, would comp- comprise the entire concept of Yisrael. Therefore, of course, the Brio can now reach its intended purpose and therefore achieve a full Tikkun. Of course, this Sitra Akhra does not want us. Therefore, if Yaakov only had the union of Ben Dovet and did not get the union of Ben Yosef, then the concept of Yisrael would only be half realized. Why? Because the union of Ben Yosef, who of course has to massacre the union of Kilko, which of course means to correct the increased amount of concealment of God's presence as contributed by man, this of course would remain without a designated person. And therefore the Bria, the universe, or the world of course cannot be fully corrected or rectified or niskan. And therefore if that's the case, this of course would give further existence to the Sitra Akhra, and this would frustrate the entire purpose of creation. Therefore, the Sitra Akhra, of course, would then object and try to prosecute that Yaakov Avinu, of course, should not have this. And as I said, because the second threat, of course, would be that if he now had, besides Ben Dovi, he now had Ben Yosef in a permanent fashion, then the concept of Yisrael would now be fully realized or actualized or fulfilled in the individual called Yaakov Avinu and therefore it is possible for the universe now to really achieve its intended purpose and that is of course to uh, remove the concealment of the presence of God and of course what that would mean to the Sitra Akhra is of course that his power play his entire rulership over the world of course is lost so therefore the entire idea if Yaakov would receive the Inyad ben Yosef in a permanent fashion from Yitzchak both would be a, this would be a tremendous uh, threat to the Sitra Akhra from uh, both of these, of course, ideas. As a result, of course, a result, of course, the Rebbeinu had to bring down a tremendous amount of Hester when Yitzchok was now giving the brokers to Yaakov. Now, as a result of the fact that there's a, the uh, tremendous threat to the Sitra Akhra. The Sitra Akhra, of course, the force of evil, tried to obstruct this union of Ben Yosef from going permanently into Yaakov and his descendants. And thereby he will remove the possibility of a full Tikkun and a full enlightenment to the world. 
And also, of course, he will remove the idea that the concept of Yisrael will be fully realized. The question now, therefore, is when the Rabbanu Shalom, therefore, wants to conceal it from the Sitra Akra, as we see, then how is he going to do it? And we see certainly that it has to be concealed from the Sitra Akra. Therefore, when the Rabbanu Shalom conceals from the Sitra Akra that Yaakov is the recipient of the Brochus, by Yitzchak, what he does is he blinds Yitzchak, and therefore, if Yitzchak is blind and who does not does not know who the real recipient is, therefore the Sitra Achra also does not know, and this is one of the ways that the Sitra Achra can be deceived by Yitzchak not knowing who the recipient of the brachos were. Then the truth is that the Sitra Achra also did not know, and that is exactly the way the uh, Rebbeinu Shalom concealed from the Sitra Akhra the entire events that were transpiring. Therefore, if the Sitra Akhra does not know, then the Sitra Akhra, of course, is not mekatrek. He is not, does not prosecute. And therefore, he does not obstruct any of the blessings from going into Yaakov. And as, of course, was mentioned, the reason why now we see, the reason why the Rebbeinu Shalom did not tell Yitzchak at all that he should give it to Yaakov because Esav of course was not worthy to have these brachas is because if he would tell him that Yitzchak would know and that Sitra Acha would also know and therefore he would obstruct through Kitrugim through prosecution attempts he would of course obstruct it from ever happening therefore the Rebbe conceals it from the Sitra Acha by concealing it from Yitzchak in other words Yitzchak does not know who the recipient is and therefore of course the Sitra Acha also does not know and that is why the entire idea is that the Rebbe concealed it from Yitzchok in the sense that he didn't tell him and he even made it possible for Yitzchok to be fooled. And this is why the entire Indian, why this entire blessing of Yitzchok to Yaakov happened through concealment and also why uh, this whole thing happened through trickery and of course deceit. And that answers the question. In other words, we see <laughs> that the entire idea of Yitzchak giving the blessings to Yaakov is another commencement of the union of Mishichos in a permanent fashion. And just like we find by all the other previous ideas that the Rebbe has to conceal from the Sitra Akra the entire idea when he brings down the Shroshim or if they enter into Kaisra or whatever he therefore has to conceal also at this particular time from the Sitra Akra also what is going to happen because if not the Sitra Akhra, of course, will try to obstruct it, just like he tries to do all the other times, and just like the Rabbanishlam conceals from the Sitra Akhra all the other times when one of the Shoshim of the Mashikhan enters, he also conceals it now, so that Yitzchak, of course, shouldn't know, and therefore the Sitra Akhra also would know, and therefore Yaakov of Inu now can have not only the union of Ben David, but also the union of Ben Yosef, and as a result of that, of course, um, it is possible now that the world will achieve its enlightenment through Yaakov and his descendants and of course it also means that the concept of Yisrael of course is now fully realized. Now, we can begin asking of course, of course, wait a minute, it does make sense. How does the Sitra Akhra obstruct? Even if we say that this is a tremendous threat, the Sitra Akhra, that Yaakov and his descendants would now also have permanently the union of Ben Yosef, and therefore it is possible now for the universe to have or fulfill its intended purpose and achieve a tikkun. The question is, how can the Sitra Akhra obstruct this? We know that the only instrument 
the only armaments that the Sitra Akra has is Din, justice. In other words, he says that you did these sins, you don't deserve this. So therefore the Rabbana Shalom listens to the Sitra Akra because it's not the Sitra Akra that has power, it's the man's sins that has power and gives power to the Sitra Akra to prosecute against you and therefore, of course, the Rabbana Shalom withholds any kind of good. So the question is, if the only way the Sitra Akra is able to do his job, is able, is able to realize his task, is by prosecuting through justice or din, then how can he do it? What obstruction or what sins are there? There are no Jews around. The only Jews around was Yitzchok and Yaakov. There are no Jews around that they should have sins which the Sitra Aha can prosecute and therefore obstruct the idea of the Meshichan taking place. There is only Yaakov Avinu and Yitzchak. What then is a sin that the Sitra Aha can use to stop Yaakov from permanently getting the union of Ben Yosef? And the answer to that is that unfortunately there is enough in Yaakov, enough for a Kitrib to say that Yaakov Avinu is unworthy to receive the permanence of Esav's former task, which of course is the union of Ben Yosef, which of course is what the entire brochus of Yitzchak signified. Now, you may ask, what exactly is this chet of Yaakov Avinu that could actually obstruct the entire union of Ben Yosef permanently becoming part of Yaakov? And the answer to that, fascinatingly enough, is that the Torah itself is Megala. What the possible kitrug against Yaakov by the Sitra Akra could be. Therefore, the Rabbani Shalom had to hide it from the Sitra Akra by concealing it from Yitzchok and even making it possible for this entire thing to transpire by trickery and deceit against Yitzchok. All in order to make sure that the Sitra Akra does not see what is going on. So you will ask, what is this possible kitrik? And the Torah reveals it very interestingly enough. It says in the Torah, Vayehi, and it was, Kizoki Yitzchok, when Yitzchok grew old, Vatecheno Einov Meiraois, and the eyes of Yitzchok, of course, grew dim from seeing, and we know from seeing who? From seeing Yaakov. Now the question is, of course, why did the eyes of Yitzchak grow dim from seeing Yaakov? And the answer was, of course, in order that Yitzchak shouldn't know, and therefore the Sitra Akhra also won't know. But the question is, why shouldn't the Sitra Akhra know? So the answer is, of course, that this is a tremendous threat, as indicated previously, and therefore he would obstruct it by raising the issue, of course, of sins. And that's how he would prosecute and obstruct the entire event happening. But we may ask, what is the sin which he can possibly raise to stop this entire event from transpiring? What can he possibly say that will stop Yitzchok from blessing Yaakov? And the answer to that is, it says in the same Pesach, And he called Esav, his oldest son, and he said to him, My son, so Esav of course answers him, Behold, I am here ready to serve you. Then Yitzchak continues and says, and he said, Behold, I have grown old, I do not know the day of my death, therefore let me bless you now, and now is the appropriate time. It's very interesting, what it should have said is, and he called Esav, his older son, and he said to him, 
Behold, I have grown old. I do not know the day of my death. Why does it say in between as an initial greeting? And Yitzchak said to Esav, Bni, my son, and he said, and Esav answered him, and he said, Hineni, behold, I am here. The question, of course, is why does it say this at all? Because it should just begin with the conversation. What do we care? If, why do we have to know that he called my son and that Esav answered him, Hineni, behold, I am here. And the answer to that, of course, is because that is what the kitrug against Yaakov would be. Because it says, Vayumre Elov. And he said unto him, Bini my son, Vayomre Elov. And he said to him, Hineni, behold, I am here. What does Hineni mean? Behold, I am here. I am ready, instantly ready to serve. That's kibur of aim, isn't it? What the Torah is indicating is Esau's instant readiness to serve his father. That's why when he called Esau Bnei Agodl and he said, Bnei my son, Esau doesn't say, not now, don't bother me later on. He says, Hineni, behold, I am instantly ready to serve you. And then, of course, Yitzchak says what he wants. Now, the fact that it says, Vayimer Elov Bnei, Vayimer Elov Hineni, of course, is extra, as I had indicated. This, of course, alludes to the tremendous kibud over aim by Esau. In other words, Hineni really means that I am instantly ready to serve. Therefore, we see that it is the greatness of, Yit, of, of Esau's kibur over aim that is actually a kitrug against Yaakov Ovino. And we see that Yaakov himself admitted to Esau's greatness of kibur over aim in Pasha Svayishla. When he says over there, when he's about to meet Esau, he says, Hatsileni no miyad ochi, behold, save me from my brother Miad Esau from the hands of Esau, because I am afraid of him. What am I afraid he will do? Lest he come and he, he will slay Emal Bonum, mother and children. In other words, he's afraid that Esau, of course, will wipe out he and his entire family. Now, interestingly enough, it says in the Targum of Yunus and Benuziel, it says there, that what was he afraid of? Behold, I am afraid of him. What was he afraid of? So the Targum says, because of the kibbut of, of Esau. Yaakov was afraid of the tremendous mitzvah that Esau uh, fulfilled, and that is the kibbut of Voim of Esau. That it was so powerful that it could actually overcome the schusim or the merits it can overcome the schusim or the merits of Yaakov and his family, and it can even destroy Yaakov and his family. This is what Yaakov was afraid of, by his own admission. Therefore, this, of course, as a Torah alludes, is the actual kitrug against Yaakov. Now, if the Sitrach had known about it, I imagine he would have seen that the idea that Esau was so great in Kibbutz would basically have three merits to it. He could have laid three different claims against Yaakov because Esau was so great. The first thing he could have said is that since Esau is so strongly or so greatly mechabed his of his father, then it is very possible that Esau will do tshuva. Why? In other words, tshuva is still possible for Esau because since he so strongly honors his father and mother, therefore it is very possible 
that he will obey his father and do the will of his father and since his father's will is that he do tshuva it's very possible as long as he is so greatly observing the midst of Kibra Ba'im it is very possible that Esau will do tshuva so therefore Yaakov should not get this in permanently this is one idea and the logic is very strong of course the truth is that Esau is not going to do tshuva but it is true that if somebody honors his parents to such a great extent it is very strong likelihood that this individual will do tshuva because since it is the will of his parents that he do tshuva and that he listen to the will of God and since the Esau listened so greatly to the, what, the will of Yitzchak his father it is very possible that therefore Esau will do tshuva and therefore the Sitra Achra can easily say therefore Yaakov should not get the Indian permanently since it is possible that Esau still can do tshuva and therefore it is only right that the Indian should be reserved to him I could see this as the first line of prosecution that the Sitra Achra can say the second line of prosecution that the Sitra Achra can say is that since Esau is so greatly mechabed his kibur over aim, and by the way, he is mechabed kibur over aim greater than Yaakov Avinu, as, the, as I had mentioned previously, the Zoya says, that nobody was ever mechabed his father like Esau was. Nobody ever fulfilled the mitzvah or the commandment of honor your father and mother as Esau was. So therefore, since Esau observed this mitzvah even greater than Yaakov Avinu, and what is the importance of the mitzvah of Kibra Ve'en? Since the importance of this mitzvah of Kibra Ve'en is that one obeys the father in following the father's traditions, the values of the father, and the beliefs of the father, then it is possible if Esav does tshuva, that he will carry on the teachings of Yitzchak, the teachings of the Rabbi Shalom, and the tikkun of the entire creation far greater than Yaakov Avinu would since he would actually be following Yitzchak's traditions his values and beliefs so strongly even more than Yaakov in other words since the significance of this mitzvah is that when a father gives a command to a son he of course wants him to adhere to his traditions his values and his beliefs then it is very possible that if Esau does do tshuva and since his kibbutz over aim is greater than Yaakov therefore he will adhere to the traditions, the beliefs and of course the values of, y- of Yitzchok even greater than Yaakov we only we have to wait until Esau does tshuva <coughs> and therefore <coughs> if he does adhere to it even more stronger than Yaakov of course then it is only proper that he be given the union of Ben Yosef, or at least let's wait until he does tshuva, and then let he begin, be given the union of Ben Yosef, of course, that of course that the teachings of God, the promotion of the belief of God, and the fact that the universe can have a taken, of course, should come through Esau and not through Yaakov. I could see this as a second line of prosecution that the Sitrach can say. And the third line of prosecution against Yaakov is the greatest. Because could you imagine if Esav, who is such a Russia, has done the mitzvah of Kivar over Aim so greatly? Why was it so great in the case of Esav? Because if you recall, Kibar over Aim by Esav was the most difficult mitzvah for him to perform, since it means that he has to 
subdue his tremendous gaivas, tremendous arrogance and submit to authority and this is the most difficult thing for Esau to do who is such a tremendous bad gaiva, such a tremendously arrogant individual so therefore since the mitzvah of Kibro aim is the most difficult mitzvah for Esau to do not only did Esau do that mitzvah not only when he did a mitzvah he chose the most difficult one to do namely to submit to authority against his own unmitigated tremendous gaiva but he fulfilled it the greatest of all in all mankind so if Esau who is such a Russia has done Kibur Ovo aim so greatly then surely Yaakov who is a great Sadiq surely should be not at least equal to Esau and certainly greater than Esau but we find that he was not only was well, he not greater than Esau in this mitzvah he wasn't even the equal of Esau in this mitzvah so therefore can you imagine the kitrik that the Sitra has against Yaakov that he surely is not worthy he surely is unworthy and unfit to assume such a tremendous awesome role as the permanent of the Mashiach of course Ben Yosef since if a Russia can have such a great mitzvah of Kibber of Aims surely a tzaddik and if he who is a tzaddik is not living up to what even Esav his brother who is a Russia then he certainly is unfit to have the entire union of Ben Yosef certainly in a permanent fashion these are the three lines of prosecution that the Sitra Akhra easily could have brought against Yaakov Avinu therefore this would have meant of course that this would have completely obstructed the entire idea that Yaakov Avinu would have gotten the brachas and that term is beautifully maramas by saying and Yitzchok said to his son Bini and Esav said to him, Hineni, behold, I am here. In the very Pesach that the Torah tells you that God had to blind Yitzchak so the Sitra Acha shouldn't see, in that Pesach itself, what would have been the Kitrug against Yaakov? And that is the mitzvah, of course, of Kibur of Aim, which was observed by Esav in such an awesome measure. Therefore, of course, we see that since there would have been such a tremendous kitrug against Yaakov, the Rebbe had to conceal it from Yitzchak, of course, and of course, as a result of that, it was, of course, concealed from uh, the Sitra Akhra also. Now, also, <coughs> we see, of course, that because, therefore, because of this possible great kitrug, of course, against Yaakov, the Rebbe of course, as I said, had to conceal from the Sitra Akhra of course what was happening the fact and namely the fact that Yaakov was receiving, receiving of course the entire brochus of Yitzchak this then basically is the understanding of why and it answers the questions of course why Yitzchak did not know why God set him up that he shouldn't know that Yaakov would be receiving the blessings why God himself did not inform Yitzchak and the answer is because this Indian is the same Indian as the Shroshim of the Mashiachan going into the world. Of course, over here it would be in a permanent fashion. Therefore, it would require tremendous Hester by the Rabbanishlam against the Sitra Akhra. Just like it requires tremendous Hester by the Rabbanishlam against the Sitra Akhra in all the other incidents and events when you have the Shroshim of the Mashiachan in some kind of commencement when they are commencing of course to come down or entering Klai Yisrael and also we see also what the tremendous Kitruk would have been against Yaakov Avinu and the Torah itself is Maramas that that Kibur of Aim would have been the Kitruk and as I tried to point out these are the three lines of prosecutory um, arguments that the Sitra Akhra probably could have given against Yaakov Avinu